0: Welcome to episode 79 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, how's your
1: Monday? How's your Monday treating you, my friend?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm in the middle of a really good Slay the Spire run. Ooh, those are hard to come by. I'm about to get to Act 3. I th- I think my deck can even get to the final boss, whom I have not beat yet, though I have reached him several times.
1: You know what tilts me is, so I brought my brother, who is not a card game person at all. He's a video game person. My brother has beaten Slay of the Spire multiple times, and I have not gotten past Act 2.
0: Wow. I'm really bad at it. Should I
2: try this game?
0: Oh, it's very good. It's so fun. Hmm. It's challenging, but it's just like so addictive and snappy.
2: Is it better than the the mobile phone port to Switch that I've been playing of Elder Scrolls called Blades, which is like a really bad loot box game? Does it have a Z at the end? Blades. Yeah, Blades Boys. Uh, I I play it every night for an hour (laughs) and just feel ashamed. I'm
1: glad we can have a safe space to talk about our bad game addictions.
0: Also with us, the Godfather on the heels of a happy Father's Day. It's Dave Harbarger. It's your Blades Boy. I'm here. How was your father's day,
2: Dave? Oh, it was great. We took a little extra time off. We went up to the, uh, boy, I'm forgetting that, Starved Rock in Illinois. Went for a hike and then I uh, spent some time in the Morton Arboretum. We did a whole bunch of stuff this weekend. Oh, we went to the Morton Arboretum? We were just talking about how we missed that. Yes, it's the place where I wed Shane to his lovely spouse. Yeah, we got married there. My wife and I. It was great. Any good presents? Uh, no presents in quarantine times. There are no presents, but yes, I am an ordained minister. If anybody out there in Dive Down Nation needs a uh, an officiant, I'll I'll zoom wedge you. That's legal, right? Hey, just sign the slip. It's surprisingly it's surprisingly
1: legally light to get married. I'll tell you what. Yeah, there's not a lot of documents.
2: Actually, don't send me any requests. I'm not. That was my, I'm one and done. That was my single uh marriage speed run. Finish on top.
0: On this week's episode, we're going to do a turbo breakdown of the weekend's modern challenge and consider whether the format looks great or just. Very good. Then we'll dive into Naya Winoda in both Modern and Pioneer. That's right, it's a double dive, first time ever on the show. We've never tried that, so let's hope it works out. But first,
2: some housekeeping. Ah, uh, welcome to new patrons, Patrick C, Darth Dog, and Benjamin S. Thank you for joining the Dive Down Nation. If you would like to join the Dive Down Nation, you can find us at Patreon.com/slash The Dive Down, uh, all one word. And uh, yeah, you part of the one of the biggest perks of joining the Dive Down Nation is to get access to our Slack server where we're all in there together. Talking magic and Darthog has been in a few times. Little hat tip to Darthog. Thanks for coming in, asking some great questions, starting some conversations. Uh, if you want to get on it, find us there. If you don't, you want to donate your money somewhere else, please do.
1: We also want to shout out a new review. Sean is a hero, and I think that Sean is kind of a hero for uh, this pretty awesome review. Kind of kind of laying into us a little bit,
2: but we deserve it. Uh, I wish sean is a hero would have just said what was really on his mind from the review clearly which is that uh, i am perfect because he had umbrage with shane he had umbrage with stan got no problems with me yeah i'll
1: take the five stars where we can get them yeah Uh, we are also brought to you in part by mana traders mana traders is where we have always rented our magic online cards And now, honestly, I think it's better than ever. They've removed the mana hours. Is that just for everybody or even new accounts or only certain months or?
0: I do not have mana hours. I'm on the honor system.
1: Yeah. So what they did is they essentially they used to have kind of a a, like a, a little cup that you filled up as you as you rented cards. And it was like, oh, man, I'm slowly creeping to like my maximum mana hours. And you got kind of scared. And now they're like. We have, we have so many cards, everybody, guys, ladies, we've got so many cards. We don't even care. You just, you keep the cards and you give them back. Eventually we trust you. And now you just keep them and you don't care,
2: but not for too long. I think they do send you an email if you keep them for too long and then they don't keep them for too
1: long. Yeah. But, but it like, it really, it it gets rid of the stress a lot, which is nice. Uh, mana traders is, is where you can rent cards for, you know, standard, modern pioneer, EDH, pauper whatever you're into so uh, it's awesome use it you can sign up with the sign up code the dive down all one word uh there's also a link in the show notes kind of an affiliate link there it helps us out a little bit so uh thanks for everyone who signed up and for anyone
2: new interested go check it out for a month or two and i'm sure you will like it yep and now on the news desk this week to bring us our weekly breakdown i think that's a wild stan appearing stanislav stanislav uh stan which type of pokemon would you be grass <laughs> is that a real kind yeah bulbasaur okay
0: well my favorite pokemon are like emolga and Absol, so i got a cute one and a cool one so i'll, I'll just be one of those probably
2: so you'd be a hit you'd be a hipster class pokemon
0: i also like the flying psychic pikachu evolution a alolan raichu i thought that was kind of a cool design yeah Okay. Yeah. So breakdown this week, I was inspired by Shane last week, who sort of waxed poetic about the pioneer format. And after looking at the modern challenge from this past weekend, I kind of had a similar reaction. I was, this looks amazing. And I'm excited to talk about the top eight, some uh, other really spicy, interesting decks throughout the top 32, Pose some questions for my co-hosts about how they would react to this type of tournament metagame. And, uh, Maybe we can give a little send-off to this season of Modern before Core 21 comes out uh, this Friday. I think the day this podcast comes out. So I think it's pretty apparent that there is a tier one group of decks in Modern right now. Uh, Like Erosa, maybe Dredge, maybe Ponza, Bant Snow. Like These decks are very popular. Devoted Devastation is up there as well. But I feel like we're in this nice moment in Modern where there's no single deck that kind of sucks all the air out of the room. We, we don't have a Hogak or an Is It Phoenix right now. And even though you may hate playing against decks like Bant Snow or, you know, Dredge, whatever, it doesn't seem like we're in this moment where all the strategies have to metagame heavily against whatever the biggest threat is. It's a semi-equal playing field.
1: That's like a valuable platform to be working from, right? Like if you have a foundation where there's not a tier zero... That is warping the metagame around it, then you have just a healthier start, and people don't feel like they have to play something because of its matchup with something else. And so I think that is, I think, a fundamental to a format that people are
0: at least pretty happy with. Totally agreed. And I think one of the specific benefits to this relatively balanced metagame is that the weekly tournaments that we pay attention to have the potential for unexpected results. So what I'd like to do right now is touch on some of the fun results from this weekend's modern challenge, because I don't think I would have ever predicted this top eight to occur in 2020. So first place, an MTGO grinder, you may recognize Timu with Blue
2: Moon. Oh, now we know why you wanted to talk about this challenge top eight. (laughs) (laughs) Stanislav.
1: That's right. Your big green decks, Stanislav.
0: Okay, this is not the first time I have seen Blue Moon win a modern challenge, but it's been a while and I don't know if it's happened since we started the podcast. It may have, I just don't recall this happening, but like my memory of last time Blue Moon winning modern challenge is several years old at this point. And I thought this was like a really clean, old-fashioned version of Blue Moon, no main deck adventure cards. Uh, Your only planeswalkers were a couple of main deck Narset and a sideboard Ashiok Dream Render. The spell suite is just a hodgepodge of control tools. You got one abrade, one s- flame slash. It even had electrolyze in there, and your blood moon's relegated to the sideboard. So
2: blue moon, a little bit of a misnomer, but it's blue red control. Yeah, awesome to see. Thing in the ice is good, huh? Like that's that's kind of one of the takeaways from here too, right?
0: Maybe. So in in the past, thing in the ice used to be really good when decks like humans or even spirits were really good, even Bogles, for that matter. I'll be curious to hear what you guys think about the top eight here, whether or not this is the type of top eight where Thing of the Ice can prey on the meta or if it's just a good finisher for a control strategy. Okay. But Timu is definitely a Blue Moon Master and not really surprised to see them do well with this deck. Second place, uh, XAKX47X.
1: Yeah, probably born in 1947. I'm glad we can have some more aging players along with Dave and myself playing on MitGo.
2: That's where you guys think the name comes from, huh? Yeah, definitely. Okay.
0: Yeah. Zax 47X was on Devoted Devastation. Very stock list, in my opinion. Still running Luris as the companion in the side. Third place, 1yo2yo on Grixis Urza. Also fairly stock. It's got a playset of Goblin Engineers. So really, that should tell you this is like the Thopter Sword combo deck. It does have one sideboard Ashiok Nightmare Muse, the five-mana Ashiok from uh, Theros. And it's starting to feel like this card kind of proving itself as a, a player and pioneer and maybe even modern.
1: Um, Question for you all, especially you, Stan. Goblin Engineer, I feel like I haven't seen that card in a bit. Is it like a like in the in the fringe of the Urza decks? Is it back in the Urza decks? Is it only in the the combo based ones? Like what what's our our percentage of Urza decks that's using Goblin Eng- Engineer right now?
0: What percentage? I would have had to crunch some numbers to answer that question. No numbers were really crunched for this breakdown. I, I will say that Goblin Engineer was the de facto combo enabler when the Urza Thopter Sword combo really took off. Um, like early 2020, maybe late 2019. And over time, especially when Emery came out, I think that all-in combo on the Thopter Sword kind of became a little less favorable and we started seeing more like Jeskai Ascendancy and other Emery shenanigans. If I had to guess, this is just one other way to build an Urza combo deck. And I don't know if there's really clear numbers about which version of that deck is most popular. It's probably Euroza to be honest.
2: Yeah, that's the most popular one right now for sure. So this is a little bit of a blast from the past. I I mean, you know, if you want to be all in on the combo and have a little bit of like good kind of like rampy artifact stuff to make it happen, this is the way to to do it, right? You got your Galv Blast, you got your were of Invention, so it's the one that was sort of felt like it was adapted from those War Decks. Yeah, and what
0: this might be is perhaps the fastest way to win on an Urza-Thopter-Sword combo, just because of the consistency that Goblin Engineer provides. And maybe having a fast combo is really important in a right now. Quick question about Ashiok. What sort of matchups do you think that card is good for? Because it's 5CMC, it's so you think your game would have to go kind of long for it to even hit the board. But its abilities seem like they're designed to combat creature strategies. So, is it a way to like maybe land a threat against control decks? Is it a way a way to maybe like deal with humans and set up blockers or deal with opposing creatures from your opponents?
1: What I think is interesting is I can't think personally of a lot of blue-black planeswalkers that make creatures. I could be missing some here, but just kind of like seat of the pants, like good blue-black planeswalkers, where the plus makes a creature token that's really valuable in just any long game or control strategy, where you're like, well, if I stick this, it's going to create some value for me, uh, especially if it resolves if it sticks on the board for any length of time. For sure.
0: Fourth place, Amulet Titan. This one, little spicy. Sean in our chat pointed out that it was running two main deck, Primal Command and Uro. It even had sideboard copies of Jace the Mind Sculptor, as well as a couple Brazen Borrowers. Um, Mystical Dispute as well. Looked to me like this was metagaming against Control in particular, as a way to either dig through some of your pieces via Primal Command or even that Jace or, you know, Deal with maybe potential controlling strategies by having like a Jace as this alternate threat. I don't know. Kind of interesting that like Titan is still this super powerful card, especially with the Amulet package. It can produce five colors of mana. Just put the best colored cards you can for whatever meta game you're dealing with, and it can probably still get there.
2: Mm-hmm. Titan always keeps evolving.
0: Fifth place, Jiggy Wiggy with a Song of Creation combo deck. In fact, Mana Symbol also finished with the Song of Creation combo deck in 32nd place of this tournament. Mana Symbol, also a recent member of the Dive Down Nation. Hello, Mana Symbol. Hey, shout out, Mana Symbol. Whoa, you're
1: right. That is Mana Symbol. They also stream on Twitch, I think. So keep
2: your eye out for them. So explain this deck to me, because I have not seen this before. And I'm curious to know how the Song of Creation plays into it as a combo piece. Because what this looks to me, looking at the deck list, is uh, just Eurosa in in some ways. But there's some weird cards, right? There's an Ox of Agonis. There's a Song of Creation. There's a Tamio Collector of Tales. These are all one-ofs. The thing that stands out here that's a card that we haven't seen a lot in Modern yet is Kinnan Bonder Prodigy from Ikoria. Mm -hmm. So, Stan... Can you help guide us through what we're looking at a little bit here?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to just take one step back before I try to answer your question. Song of Creation, kind of a weird card. People might not be familiar with it. It's an enchantment from Akoria. one green, blue, red. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever you cast the spell, draw two cards, and at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. Also worth noting, this is a Yorion deck. It has a companion. But what stuck out to me was for a Yorion deck... It was running relatively few lands. It only had 23 lands. Hmm. And you often see the Urandex decks pad their mana count by throwing in new lands or more lands. This one instead just has a bunch of artifacts. Four Bobble, four Mox Amber, Astrolabe, of course. You got one of, of Soul Guide Lantern and Shadow Spear. Even a main deck, Pithing Needle. I'm sure that was tricky in a lot of matchups. Um, a couple other things that stood out to me is a single Ox of Agonis, as well as a single Tamiyo Collector of Tails. Yes. So I think this is uh, basically, if you're not doing, you know, Euroza Uro, beatdown things, you're kind of just doing Urza slash Emery artifact loops and just trying to generate a ton of value by drawing as many cards as you can and maybe locking out your opponent with engineered explosives until eventually you can like beat down with one of your big creatures.
2: Mm. It's got Karn the Great Creator in it too. That's another good point. As uh so, you got that whole sideward package shenanigans. This is really a wild deck, and yeah, uh, you have here written in the notes that Faithless Brewing put this together on one of the episodes of their video series, Rogue Refinery, in uh, partnership with Wizards of the Coast that they're working on now. So that was the
0: first episode, in fact. That was when I first discovered this deck, and they they broke it down for Modern Pioneer and Standard. We'll post a link to the show notes. I'm sure dan dave and damon will do a much better job of explaining what this deck is all about because these combo strategies these artifact combo strategies in particular go way over my head yeah i've never cast an ursa
2: uh, me either check them out
0: sixth place Patcha 94S with ad nauseum another stock looking deck to me yeah
2: ad, ad nauseum still very good right now though yeah combos gotta be good gotta go fast yeah, I mean, I don't know how often you guys have played with or against this deck lately, but Spoils of the Vault into Thassa's Oracle is really something.
0: Although I've never piloted Ad Nauseam yet, we keep saying it's on our shortlist, and every time we do, we get tweets from people demanding that we either dive into it or dive into Storm first. I've played against Ad Nauseam countless times, so I feel like I know how the deck works fairly well. Yeah. Either you get ad nauseum or you don't.
2: Well, that's not true though, because spoils of the vault plus, plus angels, grace plus Thassa's Oracle is also a win. That's true. So since it's been able to run Thassa's Oracle, it's been a lot more powerful. And I was just reminded of that a couple of times in the last week or so. So, uh, keep your, keep your eyes up, everybody. <laughs> Seventh place,
0: misplaced ginger with Bant
2: snow.
1: This is a name I haven't heard in for a minute. I think partially that's because what, uh, was it not top level? What well, was a uh, first strike? I think they're taking a hiatus um, for a while, and I think, uh, but Misplaced Ginger, they are a grinder. They play a lot of Magic online, um, and they typically gravitate towards what they feel is the best deck based on their many, many, many rounds of Magic. So Derek believes that Bant Snow is the best deck, I would imagine, right now, and plays it well, getting a top eight here.
0: Yeah, if you looked at Misplaced Ginger's resume on MTG Goldfish, it is... Very long. Pages after pages. Eight pages of results dating back to 2013. (laughs) That's a few. Uh, And in eighth place was Sven Svetersven with the Blue Red Tempo deck. Also Sven Svitersven is someone I've been recognizing within the Blue Moon community has been putting up results with this deck. And this is the one that has more adventure spells main it's got a couple of brazen borrower as well as a couple of bone crusher giants that even runs a couple royal scions in the main once again blood Moon is in the sideboard which I find kind of curious maybe just because of all the snow shenanigans your main deck blood moons aren't as powerful as they used to be when like humans and Tron were the most popular decks in the format
2: yeah. I see one really interesting card there in the main deck Stan lay it on us it's a blue draw card instant glimpse of freedom one
0: on a blue draw card and it has escape tune a blue and if you escape five cards you
2: can cast this card from your graveyard ah great uh think twice kind of reprint here uh really cool card uh interesting to see someone go
0: for it yeah I mean it's interesting I'm not I don't know if this card has what it takes to be a a blue x control staple but it's kind of cool that it maybe did some work yeah also this sideboard looks super tech against storm with two fluster storms as well as two mind break traps
1: you remember fluster storm
2: when that was coming back into the format and then didn't do too much it's getting played Though I mean uh Everett's been playing it a good amount. I've seen other people with it in the sideboards, this deck has it. I think it's a good piece for blue these blue red control decks to have a hold of.
0: Four dollar card, no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. That's a whole other thing.
0: The reason Flusterstorm is potentially playable is just because of Veil vale of Summer, I think. Maybe Force of Negation as well, but like Veil vale of Summer is such a beater for these counterspell based decks that having a way having a easy way to deal with it is nice. Okay, so a couple other honorable mentions for this top thirty-two. The ninth place deck was hardened scales. It's back in hardened scales form. Modular affinity. Four ozolith in that deck.
1: Wow. Four, just the the full above the legendary playset. They were like, I want this so badly. I need four ozolith. Yep. The ozolith. (laughs) Also, thirteenth place canister on humans. This does not seem like his kind of deck. I'm gonna take it. I mean, there's nothing too weird here. Uh, it's just humans with a couple of you know General Kudro, and uh, he's apparently liking it. So thanks for the endorsement, Canister. You and Canister like the
2: same decks. Who who to think?
1: Yeah, I mean you know KCI,
0: Etron,
1: weird combo things. Yeah, you know that's that's what I gravitate towards.
0: Up next on the list in 14th place was Goblin King playing red black goblins. It's a lifestyle. The Grumgully version. I wonder if their thinking here was to get a lot of experience with goblins before Goblin Snoop comes out. So then they could just figure out exactly where that card belongs and start cleaning up in modern once Snoop is legal.
2: Yeah. I mean, I told you all that Grumgully was was still pretty good. You did. On the last step. So, you know, the, as the hype train for Conspicuous Snoop has continued to get louder, uh, I think we'll see where all these different pieces end up. Maybe they just all go together in one big deck. Two combos, one deck. 16th place was
0: Archgaze with Naya Winoda, only bringing it up to indicate that we are relevant in this week's topic. (laughs) And in 29th place was Remph on Bant Spirits. Do you remember the last time you saw Bant Spirits in a Modern result? No. I'm happy. I'm just happy it's back. Co Diamonds had tweeted today something about Bant Spirits, and I mentioned that it was in the Modern Challenge, and... He replied that he had to actually double check to make sure I wasn't full of it, <laughs> just because no one expects to see banned spirits anymore.
2: So that's cool. There's some good cards in this deck that weren't in it before. Uh, Force of negation wasn't around the last time that it was pretty popular. There's a couple of those. Unsettled Mariner hadn't quite broken through. There's one of those. Uh, Idolon of Rhetoric is in here as a little just kind of like thing to keep an eye on. There's a Deputy of Detention in here, all humans to kind of help have some removal to Ferry Time Raveler and even a smuggler's copter. What's better than giving your creatures flying when they already have flying is making them draw a card when they have flying, flying. <laughs>
0: Double flying. They can fly over flying creatures. Perfect. The rest of the top 32 was full of familiar staples, Storm, Humans, Ponza, Etron, Burn, etc. But this top eight, two Blue Moon decks, sandwiching the top eight is a time to ban Remand.
2: The people are crying out. I mean, I'm ready for it to be gone. Yeah, get rid of it. <laughs>
0: And although, I mean, I'm not necessarily asking what you guys would play out of this list, but I'm kind of curious whether you'd call this an encouraging metagame. If this type of diversity and this type of unexpected top eight, or at least what I consider unexpected top eight, does it fill you with warm fuzzies about modern right now?
1: My concern about this top 32 overall is I felt it was pretty combo heavy. Was like there was a quite a bit of combo, whether it was creature combo or a spell combo or card combo. Um, it was pretty combo ish. Like, the, you know, there was there was Infect and Storm and Goblin combo and what uh, Winota E combo and uh you know, Ad Nause and stuff like that, Amulet Titan. If you want to call that a combo deck, Devoted Devastation, all those kind of things. So it's combo, combo, combo. I mean, it's not the vast majority of the meta, but it was a significant amount. And weirdly, we didn't see kind of the graveyard synergy. We didn't really see much dredge. I don't think um, there was no Green Tron, so I'm a little sad there. A lot of Eldrazi drawn. Still, people will not put that
2: down. I mean, I think this is great. I'm super happy to play in a modern in a format that has these cards in it there is a lot of urza from what i can see at a glance but there's a lot of cool decks in here i mean there's one deck that i just saw that was like jeskai spells and that's all it was (laughs) and that seems sweet to me as well there's a a jeskai deck in here that's thing in the ice as a payoff pyromancer's ascension no storm cards or anything like that just like lightning helix lightning bolts Thought scour. Wow. Well, I didn't even notice yeah. that deck. This is a weird, cool deck. There's a bunch of weird, cool decks on here. I, You know, I've been playing much more modern than Pioneer the last couple of weeks other than our league and uh, still fun. So nice.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I'm feeling in the mood to do a modern league soon. I'm 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 hope, hopefully have some time to do some some humans and uh, maybe testing something fresh in the coming week.
0: It, it sounds like, you know, though, you just kind of have to sideboard against combo strategies. Bring in those rest in peace. Maybe bring in damping spheres.
1: Keep playing some kite sail freebooters and some meddling mages. Can humans fit a trinosphere? Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Under meddling mages robes.
0: So this being the last modern challenge before Core 21. Any called shots for next week's tournaments? Do you think Goblin Snoop will be in the top eight? Of the challenge?
2: I mean, there's going to be a pretty good or pretty... Out of left field Snoop deck, right? To get in the top eight? Yeah. No, I think, I think people are expecting it to be pretty good right off the bat. So I think it's a better... I think it's a pretty good shot that it gets in the top 16, let's say.
1: I just felt like with our Court 21 spoiler episodes, we didn't see too much that seemed like it was... Bursting Modern Seams open. So I'm curious if if uh, Corset's going to have a big impact on Modern more than Pioneer. But Goblin Snoop is so interesting that people are definitely going to be experimenting with it.
0: It's kind of my feeling, too. I think with the exception of Snoop, a lot of the decks that we're seeing right now in Modern, I think they're going to stick around for a bit. With, you know, the typical ebb and flow of, like, this week had no Dredge or Tron, we're going to see Dredge and Tron again, inevitably. Yeah, always. But... Maybe we're in this moment now. We'll keep an eye on it. I don't want to count my chickens, but maybe we're in a moment now where modern is like fair, balanced, and fun, assuming you can find a way to navigate like this combo centric metagame.
2: Yeah. And there's no neoform up here. So nobody can complain about that in this top 32. So,
0: (laughs) all right. So now that we're in a good mood, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to do our first ever double dive into Winota joiner of forces. Stay with us. Winona Ryder, you've probably heard of her, acclaimed actress from works such as Stranger Things and Beetlejuice. Now an exciting magic card that sees play in Modern and Pioneer, even banned in Historic. Maybe suspended in Historic? I'm, I'm actually
2: not sure. It's one of history's mysteries. It's also banned in standard. Is it? I think so. Or or do they only ban Agent of Treachery? I don't think it's banned in standard, Dave. Well, while
0: Dave looks that up, I'll let you know that this week we decided to try giving both versions of this deck a dive because it turns out they've got a lot in common.
1: So by both, you mean Pioneer
2: and Modern. Yeah, thank you. Okay. No, I'm wrong. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Carry on.
0: Anywho, so what we're going to do today is break down what this card and these decks are trying to do, talk about some of the specific similarities between them and point out some of the differences between the two versions. We'll talk about some of the strategies and best practices that we've picked up testing these decks and maybe even compare it to like some of the other combo and creature strategies that we're seeing in Modern and Pioneer.
1: Stan, why are we talking about this this week, do you think? Like, you know, typically we try to f- pick something that feels up and coming, or is uh, already at a high power level, or is showing its face more often. So what do you think is the biggest reason we chose Moda this week? I have my theories, I wanna hear yours.
0: Well, I I think there's a couple of reasons. One is the first episode after the full set spoiler is usually a slow news week. So we found it really helpful and convenient to do a deck dive during this specific period of a calendar. So just so that we have something to do for the show.
2: It's compelling, compelling content here. I do think it's kind of an up and coming deck and
0: card that's been getting gradually more popular practically every week. I was impressed with it kind of early on when friend of the show and our patron Zanman, Lawson Zandy, destroyed me with Modern Winota. And I was like, "Whoa, this this is good. And then we just keep seeing it pop up over and over. And, like, to answer your question, I think you kind of answered yourself. Like, I kind of feel like this is an up and coming deck in a variety of formats. And knowing what this deck is up to might potentially educate some of our listeners on playing against it or might even convince them to pick it up themselves. For sure. What, what was your theory?
1: Oh, this thought you liked it a lot. And you were like, hey, guys, let's do Winota. Let's do Winota this week. And we're like, sure. Why not, Stan? Good idea.
0: <laughs> Dave, anything you want to add? about winota
2: no not to this not to this mess
0: i didn't know i liked winota decks until i actually played with them i just kind of was impressed by the strategy having faced it down
2: well stan you do love playing red and green cards now so it seems that way yeah we got to answer the
0: question right off the bat what is winota what is she all about and what are these decks trying to do because they're basically both versions are trying to do the same thing so winota join our forces Two red, white, legendary creature, human warrior, mythic rare from Ikoria. Pretty cheap mythic rare. It's like a $10 mythic. Whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, look at the top six cards of your library. You may put a human creature card from among them onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. It gains indestructible until end of turn, but the rest of the cards in the bottom of your library in a random order, and she is a four, four.
2: Yeah, so let's break that down a little bit. Just real quick, read it back. Key things... Winota is a human. Winota's trigger, trigger off of non-humans attacking. Those triggers fetch a human. So your deck needs to have a mix of both (laughs) non-humans and humans in order to get value off of Winota. Now, the way that it works generally is that you have payoffs that are humans and there aren't too many of them, and you try to get a bunch of triggers off of attacking with non-humans. Like, that's that's the general goal.
1: So it's like when Aragorn... Goes and gets like the spirit army out of the mountain, and then they attack, and then that inspires the humans to
2: to, like rush behind them and support them. Sure, that was Return of the King, right? Yeah, ROTK, as I call it. It's a very good scene. And then the second part is it puts a creature tapped and attacking when you grab one off the trigger, and it gains indestructible. I think that indestructible thing gets forgotten. Oh, yeah, sometimes the important thing, it's important, but yeah,
1: so So how are you using Winota? I guess the goal is to get her online as early as possible. Yep. Or even turn two, I mean, she's there. She can be there on
2: turn two in the modern version, I believe, uh, with uh, Arbor Elf, correct? No, so there are some people playing different forms of ramp with this deck, and we'll get into that a little bit. Yes, some people are playing Utopia Sprawl, Arbor Elf. But typically turn three. Yeah, but mostly we're talking about like a bird or a uh, Llanowar Elf or something like that.
1: Sure. Yeah, or you can get her off an Eldritch Evolution, which we'll talk about later. Um, She's not really online, of course, until you can swing with a non-human. And as Dave was referencing earlier, your goal then is to find one of the humans in your deck, which is typically on Gross Marauders or uh, Kenrith, the Returned King, with uh, her trigger. You give your board sort of a virtual double strike or other kinds of buffs from Kenrith. So it's kind of just ramp to Winota swing with some non-human creatures that then can turn into problematic large creatures or just cause so many triggers to occur that you're getting these indestructible humans swinging for free that uh, it's just an
2: overwhelming force. Yeah. And one last note about Winota that sometimes people might not think about when they're reading the card is that Winota does not have to attack to enable generating triggers, Right? So what you do a lot of times is get some non-humans into play, get Winota into play, then attack with your non-humans, even if Winota has summoning, summoning sickness. So in a virtual way, the stuff that's important about Winota has haste because it's an ability that, that affects everybody on the battlefield.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the potential downsides of like the Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl versions of this deck. We, we're not really going to talk about that particular build, but... Even though the ceiling there is a turn two Anota, I don't believe you can ever actually swing with a non-human in that version, even if you get her on the board turn two. So
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're playing a Memnite, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dog. <laughs> yeah, dog. Memnites. I don't know. Turn one, Ornithopter. So Stan, let's talk about the payoffs for this deck. Shane mentioned the card names, but uh, we might need some reminders on what they are.
0: Yeah, so the one that's in both decks is Angras Marauders. And I kind of wonder whether the Winota deck would exist if Marauders was not a card. Because the ceiling on Marauders is insane. It's a 5-red-red, 7-mana red, human pirate. If a source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. And it is a 4-4. Four, four.
2: Hey, you, you all know what that effect is? Oh, man. Like originally from? A Marauder effect. <laughs>
0: it's like... Battle of the Gods or something from original Theros.
1: Is that is that like a Savage
2: Beating or something like that? or No, the uh, the first card that had uh, this effect on it that I remember, some free freely to correct me, is Furnace of Wrath from Tempest. We call that a Furnace of Wrath effect. You call it? it a Furnace effect.
0: Rolls off the tongue. You know, the thing I want to point out about Marauders that blows my mind every time is that if you have multiple Marauders out their ability stacks and the doubling effect actually starts to happen exponentially. So as an example, if you're swinging with one Marauder, it's a four, four, but it hits for eight. But if you're swinging with two Marauders, there are four fours that are each swinging for 16. Yes. And I put up a screenshot. I tweeted this today where I got my opponent to negative 163 life on turn four in pioneer. By swinging with, I think it was three Marauders and just like enough creatures that there was nothing they could do.
1: You stole all my good games, Dan.
0: Well, Shane, tell us about uh, the Pioneer payoff in addition to Marauders.
1: So this payoff is is so cool. I'm going to have to ask the people who tested this in Modern why it's not there. So Kenrith, the Return King, four and a white, legendary creature, human noble. It has five separate abilities. Um, I don't want to read all these. But the important ones are, let's read the red, green, and white abilities. So his abilities come in all five colors of the pie. First one, single red. All creatures gain trample and haste until end of turn. For one in the green, you can put a one-one counter on a target creature. For two in a white, target player can gain five life. All those really cool. I will read the last one. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under its owner's control. That's for four and a black. He is a 5-5. These abilities are really important. Um, The trample and haste until end of turn is very cheap for the single red and is often game-breaking because of the trample ability combined with, let's say, uh, Marauder Mm. ability as well. So you are swinging for double damage. All your damage is trampling over. They can't chump block you. That's really important. Long games can be won by pumping creatures into lethal range with a one and a green. The two and a white pulls you out of reach from aggressive decks or kind of board stalls or other weird board states where you just need to get some life. The other abilities are harder to activate unless you have, say, a Gilded Goose out there for the black or a mana confluence on the battlefield. Um, Four and a black ability certainly doesn't stink. Because the recursion is important if, let's say, your Winota gets removed from the board, or maybe you want to get a Rebel Master or a Legion War Boss back.
0: Yeah, it's even a way, another way to cheat in Angress Marauders, like if those somehow end up in the
2: graveyard. Uh, yeah, Season Pyromancer, for example, but we'll get to that.
1: I frequently, this is kind of tarp before the horse perhaps, but I, I found myself having to choose between Marauder or Kenrith often. And I would often find that Kenrith felt like the better choice in a lot of the game states that I found myself in just because of his abilities. Um, And then hopefully I could find a Marauder off of a a trigger the next turn. So kind of setting myself up with a Kenrith, knowing that I was going to be able to untap and swing again, finding a Marauder, giving everything trample with Kenrith and having just a, a really lethal attack.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think as far as why this isn't in the modern deck, I feel like it's just kind of like too much mana for the activated abilities, and you probably don't get a chance, that second chance, all that often when you try to combo off. But I'm not sure what you think, Stan, Is that... Why do you think this card hasn't made the cut in modern?
0: I think it's because modern has more options for better creatures. So even though getting a Kenrith is really great in Pioneer... Modern has potentially better humans that can, I think, serve the deck a little bit more strategically.
2: I will say one of the, the main differences between the Modern and the uh, Pioneer versions of this deck, at least the ones that we saw, is that the Pioneer version runs 35 creatures and the Modern run only runs 29 creatures. Yeah, And what you get essentially in Modern that you don't get in Pioneer is Lightning Bolt and smuggler's copter, but I think mostly lightning bolt is what we're talking about here. And so I think that people are, you know, the, the pioneer version has some extra has um, 10 ramp creatures where the modern one only has eight. So that's a little bit of the difference as well. That's going on. So I I think what it comes down to is that most of the modern builds have decided to run a little bit of interaction over the extra, uh, Winota payoff target for now.
0: And, In theory, Season Pyromancer is a viable Winota payoff target, too. It is a human, so...
2: Yes, great point.
0: When all this fails, you'll just get Spyro.
2: Yeah. You don't always want to discard the cards to Spyro, but a lot of times you don't care. That's totally true. Mm -hmm. Hey, before we get off of this, who wants to talk about some math? Me! Now that that we've done the setups, we've talked about the payoffs, we have a little bit of an idea what the composition of the deck is, let's talk about what we're talking about when we talk about Winota. Okay, so how likely are we to hit one of my Winota payoffs in both Modern and Pioneer? So let's start with Modern. Okay. You only got four payoffs in the suite, essentially. Well, four Marauders. Four Marauders is what we're talking about here. Yeah, you do get a chance. Like Stan said, you do get to get uh, Season Pyromancer if you want, but let's go for broke and say we're trying to kill our opponent. Um, I mean, in some ways, you could you could grab another Winota with Winota if you wanted to as well for some reason, which you know, maybe, maybe comes up once in a while. The, the fact is here's the scenario that I used, that I mapped out using a hypergeometric calculator is sort of trying to approximate turn four. If we have 50 cards left in our deck and we have not seen a Marauder yet. So there's four Marauders left in the deck. You just played a Winota. Your chances to hit one, at least one Marauder are if you get one Winota trigger, it's 41%. If you hit two Winota triggers, it's 68%. And if you attack and get three Winota triggers, it is 84% likely that you will see at least one Marauder. Now, one thing I want to say about math here is that the two triggers and three trigger percentages are a little dishonest and probably a little low because the math is actually, the probability math is actually a little more complicated than I know how to do to get it exact. So... When I did the hypergeometric calculator, I just did what happens if I see six cards? What happens if I see 12 cards? And what happens if I see 18 cards? That's not really how it works, right? If you whiff on one of your triggers, you know that the second trigger, you've put six cards at the bottom of the deck that are blanks. So essentially, your second trigger gets to look at a smaller deck as a result of that. So the probability... The known probability of hitting those things is actually higher than I was able to describe with the way that I could do it. But I think these are still good for math. It's 41%, 68%, and 84% in modern.
0: It sounds like the the cheat sheet there is if you have two triggers, you're more than 50% likely to get a Marauder out.
2: Yeah. One trigger is under, two triggers is over, and three triggers is over 80%. So let's talk about Pioneer for a second. If we count both Kenrith and Marauders as hits, there's six payoffs in the deck. And in the same scenario as above, again, 50 cards left in your deck. so all six payoff cards left in the deck. Turn four. If you have one trigger, you're 55% to hit at least one payoff. Two triggers, you're 82% to hit at least one payoff. And with three triggers, you are 94% likely to hit at least one payoff. So what what do you take away from that, Shane? I feel like I I want more payoffs in modern like that. That one trigger feels low to me
1: because I can imagine there's a few board states where you are only having one trigger. Let's say you get a Winota out on, on turn three and you're swinging with a single creature, right? Or am I incorrect in that assessment? Or do you typically think you have two or more triggers even with an early Winota?
0: It's not unusual to only have the one like Strangleroot Geist.
2: Yeah, I think what I take away from this is that you as much as you want to go fast with this deck, you likely need to sculpt your game plan. So you are getting at least two triggers and hopefully three. And so I think that that should factor into the way that you are playing the deck early on a hand that goes all in on only getting one trigger is not likely to hit one of your payoffs in modern and really not that likely in pioneer either. It's just above 50%. You really want to be at two triggers to be able to get into a more comfortable zone.
1: So don't, so don't swing with that. Like elvish mystic, and like just throw it away into a blocker or something like that.
2: Well, here, here's the thing is like, yes, don't do that. But I think even beyond that, when you start to think about exposing your Winota to removal, make sure you're doing it at a time that it's worth it, mm-hmm. you know, or make sure that you're doing the evolution uh, at a turn when you have a little bit of opening where you can get a couple of triggers. Totally understand after playing with a stack that sometimes your hand ends up where you're only going to get one trigger, but you should be trying to play to get more than one Every turn,
0: yeah, but I'm never gonna hold back. You know, certain creatures. Like, I might hold back my one-one elf, but I'm not gonna hold back a bird of paradise if it's clear for landing, or or likewise like the strangle road geist. If especially if like it could potentially come back from undying.
2: Yes, but what I'm really talking about is when you should play Winota to the battlefield. That that's the key here. I don't think it's whether you swing with your non-human creatures. I think it's when you put Winota out and risk. Having it taken down by removal, that's the point I think that's interesting
0: so we've all played various versions of this deck I actually got to play both modern and pioneer decks and I believe Dave stuck to modern and Shane stuck to pioneer
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true. I am more more modern these days all right gut checks so since I only played the modern version. I mean, I think it's a card, obviously, you have to build around. I think it's nice that it's a 4 4 for 4 so you do get a pretty decent body on rate as part of this whole package, which is like a side benefit. But it comes up a little bit when you're attacking. Um, I think that you... These creature combo decks are always very vulnerable to interaction and removal, right? And so you have to be careful the way that you approach your game plans. But I think, like most of these, this deck has options to be able to... Potentially get ahead, you know, and win a game just by beating down. It also has ways to manipulate your draw in Season pyromancer, which I know that the, uh, the pioneer version does not have. So that optionality is kind of cut off this one. Also, of course, you want to always be trying to figure out how to maximize eldritch evolution. So I think that there are ways to make this deck perform a little bit more than kind of like a brainless combo deck, but it's always going to be a deck that's, that is somewhat resilient are not resilient, somewhat vulnerable to removal. And that's why I think keeping in mind the math that I talked about a little bit earlier is important so that you know when to take your shot.
1: I'll be the, I guess I'll be the pioneer meat in this mostly modern sandwich. Um, with my, my issue worth building around, I think that, I think that when is worth building around, I don't know if I feel that the pioneer builds are the right build yet if they're the right deck built around Winota right now, I think she's an absurdly powerful card with a novel ability and her cost is low enough where it does. It seems, it doesn't seem silly to try to build around this card. Like, you know, there's a lot of build around cards, like some against the odds type stuff. And this is not an against the odds type deck. And I think that, um, My general feelings around the Pioneer build are not super strong, but I think there's a lot of
2: potential here for sure. I think you asked one question, Stan, earlier, which is, would this deck work if Angrath's Marauders was not a card? And I think that there would be builds that were closer to the kind of Jeskai Luka thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, because, you know, keep in mind, the card that got Winota banned in Historic was mostly Agent of Treachery which is another payoff that you can do with this deck if you kind of work things the right way as well.
0: So after playing both modern and pioneer versions, I'm not sure which one I like more because I actually enjoyed them both quite a bit such that even though I think the modern version is just obviously a better deck on paper, like it has access to better cards. Seasoned Pyromancer is incredible in this, in this strategy and, and it, plays a really unique role in the strategy compared to some other Spyro decks I've played. The Pioneer version, I thought, had a very impressive ceiling. And it was the first time I've pulled off a turn three kill in Pioneer. And even though that was kind of hard and I got lucky with some amazing Winota triggers, the turn four kills were also like totally within reach. So in both cases, it's fast. The ceiling is high, but it has a fail state. That uh, I kind of feel like you have to overcome to really get comfortable with this deck. I, you know what I really felt like this deck reminded me of was actually Burn. In that it's really easy to pick up and pilot. And like, I think after listening to this episode, anyone will kind of understand the basics of running Winota. But it can be skill testing to the point of even after you've learned the basics and pilot it like successfully... You can still learn a lot to maximize your draws, maximize some of the internal synergies within the deck and find ways to like squeak out a win in what could have been a a difficult board state. So
1: in classic dive down style, we have already waxed poetic for longer than I expected, honestly. So let's get into the construction of this deck a little bit. So easy stuff. Fuel, Initial Ramp, Uh, Modern and Pioneer both have their version of Mana Dorks. Modern, of course, gets Birds of Paradise, which is just the, I think, the best Mana Dork, and Llanowar Elves. They also could play Elvish Mystic if they so chose, or even Gilded Goose. Also, as we mentioned earlier, Arbor Elf is sometimes showing up as maybe a replacement
2: or uh, um, alongside Lanowar Elves, maybe even, uh, like, you think it's an either or? It's replacing it from the list that I can see. And not some of them are running it straight up as a replacement for Llanowar Elves and not running Utopia Sprawl. And a couple I've seen have been running Utopia Sprawl uh, as part of the whole package as well.
0: And the reason you would do that is because the Arbor Elf will let you untap your green-white or green-stomping ground or your green-right uh, Shocklands.
2: Right. So you you get access to that other color mana.
0: Yeah,
1: certainly nice. Um, Pioneer, you don't get access to birds, which is definitely a weakness. Uh, Gilded Goose is a very bad, not a replacement at all for Birds of Paradise. What both of them do, however, is allow you to get a nice free flying attack trigger, as Stan mentioned. Unless there's a flying blocker across the way, you're not throwing away a mana dork or a creature. Uh, even if your odds are not great. So you do get just to swing in uh, and get that trigger without really putting much at risk typically,
2: which is nice. Can I tell you a quick story about a match I played, please? I played with an opponent that had ensnaring bridge in their, in their deck. And they, uh, they got three ensnaring bridges out against me and didn't really have any artifact hate. I there's one night of autumn in the sideboard of this deck, but what I did have was birds of paradise that I could use to attack in and get whatever card I got off the trigger because it comes in tapped and attacking, and still managed to win through through that uh, somewhat impossible board state. In fact, I had a bird in play, attacked with it until they killed my guy. Uh, they they chump blocked my marauders a couple times and stuff like that. Then I uh, got a second bird off of a eldritch evolution. And then I got a third bird off of an Eldr- Eldritch Evolution when they killed the second one. So I kept going back to get other birds with Eldritch <laughs> Evolution, so I could keep attacking through Ensnaring Bridge. The number one, a number one use of Eldritch Evolution in this deck. Pretty sweet. But the big thing here is to note is that all of the ramp creatures are not humans, so they all give you triggers. So really, what you want to do is get get Oda out with the ramp, and then use them to attack in to get extra triggers off of later.
0: So the next class of cards are the Token Makers. Both decks have some amount of token-creating cards. We mentioned these already in Modern. Season Pyromancer is one. Draws you cards and makes you tokens. It also runs some number of Goblin Rabblemaster.
2: Big tech with Goblin Rabblemaster, Stan.
0: You mean that it's a turn two Rabblemaster, turn three Winota, and if you're facing no like removal from your opponent, you can swing for three Winota triggers on turn three?
2: Yes, that is the path to the turn three kill that Stan has talked about. For the most part, it involves ramping into Rabblemaster, into Winota, and going from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can do that in both formats,
1: for sure. Yeah, in uh, Pioneer, since you don't have Season Pyromancer, you run the slightly worse, I think, generally speaking, Legion War Boss alongside it. It's if these creatures survive, they're really significant. To creating the ultra quick kills that this deck is becoming famous for, I actually in Pioneer I actually played against like a Boros tokens slash goblins build that was using Winota, so they didn't have any uh, Naya mana. It was just uh, straight up Boros, and they went they went way wider than I did. And what they were doing was just building up this board and not even bothering to block by non-lethal attacks because what they could do is just swing back with like eight goblins for these massive amount of triggers and just go all in with a, a huge alpha strike and that actually made me think that that's that's certainly a build worth considering and testing some like i said i think there's alternate builds of winota and pioneer and that was certainly one of them it seemed quite good did they still have angrath's marauders Yes, that yeah, that yeah, that was in the that was in the deck, yeah. Yeah.
2: Hard to believe that this draft chaff, which is what Angrath's Marauders is, yeah. basically uh is part of this, but you know, doubling damage is a powerful effect, tutoring it up is even better. So, Shane, do you remember that we had an Angrath's Marauder in our sealed pool in in Indianapolis for team No, I don't. The team sealed? Yeah, we had one. Didn't play Did it. Did you use it? No, I didn't play it. No, it's a little little expensive for the aggro deck. Yeah. We kind of glossed
0: over Spyro, Season Power in Modern, but so Lawson Zandy, who introduced this deck to to me originally and who's been like a champion of this deck in the Slack a bit, mentioned that Spyro is the best card in the modern version of the deck, and I've kind of come around to agreeing with this. Not only because it enables tokens. But drawing cards is so powerful for this combo strategy that, unlike Panza, where like sometimes you'll get into a position where you have an empty hand and you just play your three mana two two that draws you two cards. Here, I actually wanted find the card to discard to this so that I can make some tokens so that I can then trigger Winota, and I found that pretty cool and interesting.
2: Yeah, and I did wild things with this as well. You know, talking leading into our next card with with like getting the tokens off of uh, Pirate Mancer. And then sacrificing the Pyromancer to Eldritch Evolution to, get, um, to g- get like a Strangle Root Geist so that I have another card to attack with the next turn to get more triggers off of and just, you know, get rid of the Pyromancer because who needs it? Not me. Yeah.
0: So there's another category of creatures. Dave, can you tell us about the sacrifice creatures?
2: Yeah. And I think the question to start with is here what are we sacrificing creatures to? Right, And that is, uh, we've talked about the card a few times, Eldritch Evolution, which is from uh, Eldritch Moon. Uh, And what this card is, is a one generic with a green and a green. It's a sorcery. And it says, as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, where X is 2 plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put that card in the battlefield, then shuffle your library, exile Eldritch evolution. It's basically a kind of single shot birthing pod effect in some ways where you sack the creature, it goes away, you get something bigger from it and then it comes right in, right into play.
1: Yeah. Initial question that popped into my brain and maybe some of our listeners is why Eldris evolution only, you know, there's so many options, especially in, in modern to Peel up a card out of your deck, right? And we see that in the Devoted Druid decks where we're playing Eladramir's Call and getting a needed creature that way. And I think it's got to be the tempo, right? It's just not there because, you know, if you Eladramir's El- Call costs two, then you have to pay four mana the next turn. With Eldritch Evolution, what's important here is you get the creature onto the battlefield immediately. And that's really what you want to be doing with Winota is because when she's on the battlefield,
2: then you're getting the triggers. Yeah. And again, she doesn't have to attack to get the triggers. So that's how you get ahead. And the other thing is, the other reason is the cards that we're going to talk about here, which there are a lot of cards that are good at providing value when they are sacrificed or when they die. And so this this synergizes well with Eldritch Evolution. For example, in the modern deck list, there's two main cards that kind of fit this build. One is Strangle Rootgeist. Geist which is a card that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. It's a green and a green for a 2-1 haste with Undying. And what Undying says is when this creature dies, if it had no plus one, plus one counters on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter. Staple of Yawgmoth decks.
0: Yeah, this this card non bows pretty hard with Rest in Peace. So if you're bringing in symmetrical graveyard hate, You probably want to take out your Strangle Root Geist because Graveyard Hate effects like Rest in Peace negate the Undying effect.
2: The other card that fits this bill in the modern deck is Voice of Resurgence, which is, uh, you know, former powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, it was like a $50 card in in standard because it was the only card worth anything in Dragon the Maze. And then also good powerhouse card in modern. Like Shane said, it's a 2-2 for a green and a white. It's an elemental and it says, whenever an opponent casts a spell during your turn or when Voice of Resurgence dies, create a green and white elemental creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control. (sighs) But what this card really does is (laughs) give you a token, give you another creature back, a non-human, when you sacrifice it to uh, Eldritch Evolution. I will say, however... I did win some games by going wide with a giant a giant token off of Voice of Resurgence. So this is one of the cards that lets you bail out into a different plan if the moment is there and they are messing with your winotas via surgical extraction, for example, or something like that. I will guarantee that
1: Strangleroot Geist not being legal in Pioneer and being able to be played in this modern deck because of its haste and undying ability is a major difference. Mm-hmm. For the power level of the deck.
2: And so let me explain really quickly why this is important. Because one thing that that happens in a little bit in the Pioneer version, and this card is a big uh, symbol of it in the modern version, is that a lot of these things that create tokens or are stuff you want to sacrifice have haste. And so if you have Strangleroot Geist out on turn two, and then on turn three, you cast an Eldritch Evolution on the Strangleroot Geist, it dies. You go get Winota off of the trigger from off the the Eldritch Evolution. Strangleroot comes back and you can still attack with it and get a trigger off of Winota on turn three right there. So it's a nice way to be able to make sure that you get at least one trigger off early Um Given my math earlier, there's always a question of if you are in advantageous position to want to do that. Sure. But um, I think it's a nice way to make sure you get some action going on turn three. And you can do a huge amount of damage if you hit an Angrath's Marauder on an uncontested field with Strangle Root Geist at, with an Undying Trigger on it. That is 14 damage. Yeah. So on turn three. And it's certainly not even shabby later. Because let's say you,
1: you know, set it up where you have a strangler Stranglergeist and it's just hanging out and it's not even turn three, it's still a perfectly great target for Elders Evolution simply because it comes back bigger and it allows you to have at least you know, one more trigger there as well. Because in, in Pioneer, we're forced to run, we get voice, which is fine, perfectly good creature, but... The backup to voice is like Elvish Visionary, which is just a, a, a an elf that comes in and draws a card. So you get the card of value back out of it, but it doesn't have any cool haste. It's a really small creature. It's primarily there just to provide some sort of value that sacrificing it off of EE isn't hugely negative card advantage. Yeah. Sometimes you might see a Goblin Instigator or like a main deck. Selfless spirit,
2: those are much less common than just the voice and visionary package. So I think the one last thing we should talk about before we get out of this section of like, what is the rest of the deck is I, I do want to make a little call to action or reminder to everybody that Eldritch evolution does not have to be just for getting Winota.
0: Yeah, especially in modern.
2: Yes, there is no way to use it to get angrass Marauders, so I'm not trying to say that either. But there's lots of options in this deck for cards that you want to get with Eldritch Evolution that can help you further your game plan. And the big thing here is that when you draw two Eldritch Evolutions, your hand can look really, really bad when you look at it. Or if you draw a late one, it can be really bad. But if you think to yourself what are the other options or the other cards that I can grab with this evolution? Because you can grab cards that are lower in casting cost than the card that you, you sacrificed. So you don't have to like think that this is just a combo piece to get Winota. There's other things that it can do to help you
0: post board. It kind of enables like a toolbox strategy. Even, you know, if you're bringing in certain creatures, like in modern, I was playing Gaddock Teague and uh Magus of the moon all you have to do is Eldritch a mana dork to get either of those, and like sometimes that just shuts off the opposing decks entirely. So even though I still need more time to find Winota, having like these really powerful tools can buy me enough time to eventually find the kill.
2: Yeah, I mean, even even a more like simple idea too is you can use it to upgrade one of your one drops into a Goblin Rabble Master if mm-hmm. you have a hand that's going to let you actually cast Winota on curve on turn four, right? Or, or you know, there's other, you know... So you can make sure that you can upgrade something that wasn't going to be that great into a Rabble Master, which is going to be very good with Winota, mm-hmm. and get all your triggers from there. So there's a lot of uses for the, the tutor. What do you all get to run in Modern that I didn't get to run in Pioneer? Yeah, the last couple of cards that are here are what we were talking about earlier a moment ago, which is a couple, uh, one piece of interaction in lightning bolt and, uh, smuggler's copter as well. Yeah. what do you think of those cards, Stan?
0: You know, lightning bolt was interesting cause it was often a card. I would just side out depending on the matchup. Um, cause it doesn't necessarily help you race. It's really just to kind of like clear the way so that you can potentially attack with a creature that you would need to survive. <clears throat> um, you know, it also had Path to Exile on the sideboard, so sometimes I would just, like, swap out both for Path. Right. Uh, scooter was a tough one. I was never, like, amazed with it. It's never been a card that I've been amazed with in Modern. Um, the fact that it triggers Winota is nice. The fact that it can dig for some of your, like, combo pieces is nice. But it was also one of the cards that I would side out pretty readily if I needed, like a more powerful silver bullet creature type card that I can like Eldritch into.
2: Same. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt the, found the reach with lightning bolt to be pretty useful sometimes where I was kind of like, well, I've got an opponent down to, you know, four and I can attack with a bunch of creatures. I don't have a Winota trigger out, but I'll get that last point of damage and then I'll lightning bolt them. You know, just because of the way that modern works, I feel like sometimes you have people at low life totals where they're just vulnerable to a lightning bolt, to a random lightning bolt, and so I think that's part of the reason it's here too. Yeah,
0: I think the deck only was running three, or at least my version was. So it's yeah. not a very consistent draw. Spiral helps, but your odds of getting a lightning bolt are pretty low.
2: Yeah, I definitely though in, in one game wasn't a board stall situation like that. Sacrificed a card with Eldritch Evolution to try to to try to loot into a lightning bolt. Got it, and won. So you know you got to play your outs sometimes. <laughs>
0: So let's talk about what some of the ideal game states look like. If if things are going according to plan, what does a typical pioneer turn one, two, three look like for Winota?
1: Like when I'm playing or (laughs) when you're playing? So when when I'm playing, it's turn one, dork, fatal push. Turn two, uh, two drop. Turn three, Elders of Illusion. They uh, fatal push. They they sack a fable passage and fatal push. My my ex- totally exposed Winota because I'm playing the deck incorrectly. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it's it, I think they're pretty similar, right? So like the ideal is you want to get some mana acceleration with your with your mana elves. Uh, you can get maybe a turn two Goblin Rebel Master or Legion War Boss, and then turn three, hopefully on an empty board, uh, you're able to, or you can still throw away some goblins. You get that Winota down. And then you get a couple good triggers, and then you are off to the races because you're already swinging with an indestructible human. You're un- probably untapping into a pretty good board state because it's going to be pretty tough for an opponent to remove uh, Marauders or a Kenrith. Even if they get the Winota off the board, you got some good value because you're the person with the free five drop or seven drop remaining on the battlefield. What about modern Stan? Pretty similar.
0: Pretty similar turn one dork on turn two. You know, either you have one of your sack creatures, ideally Strangle rootgeist, Geist, uh, or the Token Maker. Uh, Goblin Rabble Master gives you the fastest skills. Like we said, Spyro might help you fix your draws if you need to find that turn three payoff. And then turn three, either you Eldritch Evolution to Winota or you just cast Winota off one of your ramp. And then you go for Marauders.
1: One thing, I, what, I, what I want to explore here in terms of like these ideal game plans, right? How good in the various formats are these game plans? Because, like, sure, they, they're, they're pretty powerful, but we're talking about ideal scenarios, probably, like, on empty boards, like maybe against an opposing combo deck or, like, Tron, where they're just sort of trying to set themselves up for big turns later, or they don't have a board that can really block you or interact with your creatures. Like, sure, you're saying, like, I, I, I did 150 damage to my opponent. That seems Okay. That seems pretty good, right? Sometimes in Pioneer, you know, you're just finding a Kenrith that's like just five damage. And sure, it's it's hasty and indestructible, and that's great, but you're not necessarily swinging in with some incredible amount of damage. You're sort of trying to just get some good value and set yourselves up, set yourself up for maybe a, a better turn the next time where you're actually finding that Marauder. You're you're able to uh, use. Kenrith's trample ability, for instance, and, and really get the damage in. But it doesn't feel like an I win button. It's not like I had a nut draw with Infect or something like that. Or even a nut draw with Prowess.
0: Uh, okay, so in your absolute best nut draws with this, where you have turn one Dork, turn two master, not Warboss, but master and then turn three Winota, that's 20 damage on turn three.
1: Well, what, I guess what I'm saying is that the fail safe for like, in fact is better because I'm able to protect my stuff while also pumping it. So this is saying like in, in the, in the truly ideal scenario, I think that's fewer percentages of games you will play than something like, uh, in fact, or perhaps prowess where there's a little bit better redundancy, And you're gonna have those 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 perfect nut draws that also protect themselves in some way
0: maybe i see what you're saying like those other decks the creatures are literally growing where in winota it's just like Angress marauders make it seem like they have double strike or whatever
1: so that's i mean that's kind of my general feeling in in pioneer which is like my ideal game plan is still not necessarily like an i win
2: super combo but what does it feel like in modern versus pioneer I mean, I I think it felt a little more I win in modern just because of the fetch shock mana base, honestly, because I faced down so many players that would take their life total down to about 12, you know, and then suddenly what you're talking about is really if you hit them with Marauder one time, they're in a lot of trouble if you hit them with Marauder and a single token that's like 10 damage right there. And so it was pretty easy to kind of close out a game. Once somebody had uh, reduced their life total, done a bunch of the work for me. And that doesn't happen in pioneer as much. The other thing I would say is, you know, Stan earlier mentioned the fact that um, in modern, there's more humans to be able to pick as targets for Winota that you want to include. And I've seen a couple of other things that kind of mitigate the way that the deck works. Like for example, uh, you know, Lawson again a couple of nights ago was streaming a build that had four uh, Huntmaster the Fells in the main deck to give you a token, a wolf token, but also have possibility of giving life and making a big body and some other things. And so, um, I, I think that there's lots of interesting options there. But I do think that in modern, it's a little easier to sneak in that one attack that just kills them.
1: I think we should also spend some time exploring like what types of advantages that this deck is trying to create, hearkening back to our advantage in Magic episode. And I think it's pretty straightforward, but I'm curious if you all think I missed something here because I think Modern and Pioneer share the same general methods of developing and then maintaining advantage with the style of deck because you have your mana advantage, through your ramp creatures, and then you quickly want to translate that into board advantage, which is hopefully insurmountable, or as Stan has been hinting at, or stating overtly actually, that it's quick enough that the opponent is not able to recover, or they're just at zero life, or perhaps negative 147 life. The question, I guess before we move on to that next question, do you think there are other types of advantages that this deck or strategy is trying to develop and maintain.
0: I think the the modern one just can potentially develop an advantage through like your Blood Moon or your Gaddock Teague, where it creates like virtual card advantage because your opponents just can't cast cards.
1: The question then, of course, for me at least, is how long is this window of opportunity open? And I think that that depends on the matchup. Yeah, because you know it can be slammed shut the instant your Winona leaves the battlefield. Sometimes. And that's not super rare because she dies to a revolted fatal push. A-okay. Other matchups, you might have no interaction that you're facing down. Then you have a few turns where you can develop and then overwhelm the opponent with your Winota triggers. Like the mirror I mentioned earlier, I have no interaction. So they're able to sort of selectively block because they know i'm not presenting lethal and then they can overwhelm me because they know that no matter what i did their their crackback is gonna just just take me out
2: yeah i mean i think that it's mostly just about this might be the best ramp deck that is not tron you know it's it's just kind of like what are the most expensive the best cards that we can do with a mana advantage Like, that's that's what I mean. Like the best deck to play a Birds of Paradise in in modern right now might be this. this deck because it kills on turn three. Like what other what other deck helps you get into that? Now, you want to be in a certain metagame and get certain matchups to have this work. I think Shane pointed out earlier where he said you want to play against a deck that's trying to set up like Tron or a combo deck that's not carrying a lot of interaction, at least main deck to try to steal that first game. But for me, it's really like. You know, we talked about sliders on that advantage episode. This one is like mana (laughs) slider is like way, way, way high on this one. Dave, that
0: challenges me so much. I never would have thought of this as like a ramp deck or a big mana deck because you're not trying to get to like big mana. You're just trying to get to three
2: mana on turn two. Yeah, not not big mana. It's just like using mana as an advantage non-tron like there aren't many other decks that are trying to do that in modern right like maybe uro are trying to and maybe decks like urza that play can pay play mox amber ponza, ponza is similar to that's true but this is the fastest one this is the one that kills on turn three yeah right
0: yeah well turn three karn liberated it's usually a good game
2: uh yeah well i said non-tron <laughs> don't forget that
0: yeah that that's interesting they might be true of Pioneer too. I, I think we'll kind of get into our like our last thoughts later, but...
1: And I feel like this deck really wants to play from ahead, right? Like this deck plays... It wants to get ahead and stay ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't think it comes back very well, but I think that's probably where a stronger player with more experience gets their, gets their edge, is how you come back from being behind. But I think that when you're ahead, you have a board that you've ramped into, you have non humans to swing with and probably a Winota on the board. And that's kind of your, that's what you're hoping to create as soon
2: as possible. Yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about the, you want to do it as soon as possible at the right time, depending on what deck you're playing against.
0: I think that's also kind of the beauty of the deck and kind of why I was talking about the ease of picking it up. Like, if you're just doing your main game plan and like a lot of games, it's just autopilot. You got your three men on turn two, you, you got a goblin maker, you get a wood note, trigger, and then the deck just kind of wins without you having to make very difficult
2: decisions. Yeah. Although I find the decks like that in my estimation, the pressure is on keeper mall. Yes. When you're playing a deck that has autopilot in the actual gameplay, you know what I mean? Like, there's still a significant decision you have to make.
0: Yeah. And and mulliganing and opening hands, so I thought, were some of the hardest decisions, in fact.
2: Oh, yeah. 100%.
0: Some other, you know, situations where you might be ahead is because you don't have Winota, but you're just, like, beating down with multiple goblin generators. Your rabble masters grow, and your legion war bosses, like, make a sea of tutus. eventually. Smuggler's Copter can, like beat down pretty quickly as well as filter your hand because it doesn't have a you know there aren't a lot of flyers in in the format in modern especially that uh, get in the way
2: yeah one thing that I failed to mention earlier since I'm just going to keep talking about lightning bolt by the way that I think is worth saying explicitly is that if you lightning bolt someone after you have marauders out it does six damage to them just keep that that's a good point in mind as well that you um You know, if you're ahead, you can really compound it pretty quick for just one mana.
0: If you have two Marauders, that's a 12 damage lightning bolt.
2: (laughs) So it's funny that you talk about that and that you gave us that screenshot where you had all those Marauders in play. I never had a game in the like 10 or so matches that I played with this where I had more than one Marauder in play. I always like managed to kill someone before I got enough triggers to get a second hit.
1: They were always in my hand. God, I always just
2: drew them. Well, you get to you get to get rid of them with season pyromancer in modern so yeah
0: that'd be nice well so shane was playing from behind what what does that look like
1: (laughs) well stan before we move on to that okay um i think i think there's some interesting options that we talked about referenced a little bit in terms of what you can do when you have advantage with this deck and dave talked about using eldritch evolution intelligently and creatively to create more advantageous board states or get uh you know, parody killing type cards in, in modern, I think in pioneer, there were fewer of those, but one of the things that I used a lot in Pio, and I'm still surprised that there really hasn't seemed to be used for it in modern was Kenrith because I turned my, my three drops into Kenrith fairly often because it's such a major parody killer. Like it, it ended up being more valuable than a rabble master on the battlefield because his abilities allowed me to punch through with trample or pump up something like in the sideboard, you typically would, you run that like first striking hex proof from black, uh, one in a white knight, hmm. and having that versus sulti mid range is extremely hard for them to remove. And so just get that big enough where it's going to, trample over with first strike and just get the job done because it's not going to be removed from the battlefield or something like that. So I, I found that being able to think about, well, I'm at a, I'm at a parody right now. I'm in a board stall. Kenrith can get me out of that or other cards in modern can get you out of those. And I think that's something that like Dave was saying is it's, it's not always a race, even though it feels like the ultra aggro combo deck that can outrace almost anything. It's not interacting with you. But I definitely felt like I was much more coming from behind when playing with this deck in the matchups that I had in my league and in my, in my test games. So, like what in Pioneer, especially, I think this is probably mirrored in, in modern, is that what caused me to be behind was removal, was hand disruption, because you're frequently mulling to six and, and five cards. And so, if someone turn one, thoughts you, turn two, anguished on making you, you're not happy especially on the draw. Uh, they're removing your mana dorks. You know, everything is removable to Fatal Push if they're playing uh, Fable Passage, at least, or even if they send a creature in and maybe you stupidly block it and they're like, ha, 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 now I have Fatal Push. You know, don't do something like that. And when you're from behind, simply sticking a Winota or any kind of creature is not doing much for you unless you have other things on the board. Um What did you guys experience in Modern? Like the same kind of issues, you know, sweepers, mid-range
2: removal decks. You probably even, there's even more obstacles in Modern, I feel. Kinda. There's also more uninteractive decks in Modern. Yeah. as In some ways as well. I mean, there's a lot in Pioneer right now, as we've talked about, but, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunities where someone's like, I I can't kill a (laughs) 4-4, you know? Easily, hell, but...
0: Yeah, like, in, in Modern, I loved facing off against, um, like, Tron or Storm, for instance, because those are decks I can race. I
1: That's yeah, like Tron's nightmare. I
0: hated seeing mid-range and control. Like, Jund was kind of a nightmare. You know, Dave got lucky beating uh, Ensnaring Bridge. I was not as lucky. I had a really hard time with... Oh, that was skill. That was not luck. Yeah, true, true. Chalice of the Void can be kind of tricky, um, just because, like... Chalice on two? Yeah, I, or... Depending on player draw, like one or two, I think are both punishing. Even three can be pretty bad just because it gets rid of your goblin makers. It gets sort of your Eldritch evolution.
2: Yeah, it's just I, it takes a long time for someone to be able to cast Chalice on three.
0: That's true. Unless you're playing against Eldrazi Tron and they can make big mana pretty quickly. Yeah, especially on the play. I really hated Engineered Explosives and Blast Zone as well. Just because you make like a board of tokens or like several one drops and then it's just like easy breezy get rid of like whatever the prevailing CMC is on the board. Um but I I felt like I could race Dredge. I even felt like I could race Storm. That's kind of cool. Plus yeah. Dredge creatures can't block basically, so that helps.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch of significant creatures in those like reanimation strategies that you just aggro through yeah so
0: you guys want to talk about how it compares to some of the other more popular decks in our favorite formats especially other creature combo decks
1: one of the things that made me feel behind um was just competing combo decks i mean there there are decks that feel like combo decks in pioneer there are probably even more that feel like that in modern i think it's it's Tempting to feel like oh, I'm enacting my game plan. I have some advantage here, but you're really like a half turn behind or a full turn behind of a deck doing the same thing you are, or maybe they're pressuring you. Like I lost to like an Is It Prowess deck that uses sp- sprite dragons and other prowess creatures that just outraced me. Excuse me, in Pioneer, can I see that list? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sure you can find
0: Without it. Without mutagenic growth?
1: I mean it's it's kind of like what you thought, what you think it is, I imagine. You know, they had they had some counter magic post board, they were able to remove my key early pieces with wild slashes and just race me because they had the interaction. And that's a significant weakness, I think, in the Pioneer deck that I'll talk about later. But I think that there are it's it's pretty it's often clear when you're ahead in this deck, and I think it's often clear when you're behind in this deck. Like I mentioned before, I think the, the real edge is knowing how to claw your way back from being behind. And I think that
2: you you have more options in modern than you do in, in the current Pioneer build. And also posit again that the real edge is playing to make sure you do not get behind,
0: mm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: even mm-hmm. if it means you try to kill later. Make their cards bad. Don't play into their removal.
1: Don't play into their sweepers. Don't let them maximize that kind of stuff, you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I just think that's always something you have to keep in mind when you're playing a combo a creature combo deck like this is you don't have to play their game if they're a removal-heavy deck.
0: Shane, I got to ask. I wonder if that's a symptom of Pioneer, what you're describing, wherein this deck can't claw out of disadvantaged positions. Like, are there Pioneer decks that can? More consistently,
1: I think there are decks that, you know, let's say Mono White, which is kind of like a creature combo deck. I mean, going into that question you asked earlier, how is it better or worse, right? Like Mono White Devotion is mostly a creature combo deck with also sort of a backup beatdown plan, but it has that I win button, along with the ability to play more removal, to set itself up to, I think, make board stalls better by removing the key creatures on the other side of the battlefield while building up its own. I think there are also, in Mono White Devotion, there's less of a puzzle that needs to go together in the correct way. And you're just sort of saying, like, I mean, for the instant win, of course, there's the two-card combo. That's pretty, I mean, if you have a two-card combo, as long as you have enough mana, and there's not a lot of interaction on the other side of the battlefield that you win, that's kind of strictly better than what we're doing here with Uh, Winota. I'm continuing on the Pioneer trend, I guess. Let's talk Demir Inverter. Sort of a creature combo deck because you do win typically with uh, Thassa's Oracle. But instead of playing to the board, this one is doing the thing that upsets this deck the most, perhaps, which is controlling the hand and controlling the board. Offset your game plan and then generate a combo win as well. Um, maybe even something like in soul artifact, I mean, kind of joking, calling that a creature combo deck, but in many ways, that's kind of what it is, but what's good about in soul artifact is you're in, is it colors? You're able to run counter spells. You're able to run protection spells. Just last week, we talked about dive down appearing in, in soul artifact builds. That's kind of like going back to that. infect thing I mentioned earlier, which is I'm able to both advance and protect my game plan which is clutch to protect your board once you have that going on. And in Naya, in Pioneer, you don't really have those options besides something like a selfless spirit in the sideboard. I mean, ultimately, I think this deck is faster than all three of those decks in terms of just raw speed. But the trade-off then is immediate fragility in in terms of you just playing these cards to the board. And also, I think all those decks have better mana than this deck in
0: Pioneer too. Kind of wild to think that, like, Demir Inverter has better mana, considering that they don't have, like, the fast mana that this one does, but it doesn't seem to be a problem for the Demir players.
1: So talk tell me about Modern. How is it better or worse than the other? There's more creature combo decks in that format, I think.
0: So in general, I found, like, the headline here is that, overall, this Winota strategy is less consistent and has less redundancy than a lot of the other creature combo strategies we have in Modern, but I found that it can, like, Grind and find alternative win conditions or beatdown strategies more readily. So, for instance, something like Devoted Druid, the Winota deck doesn't require a lot of clicking to like trigger a lot of things to win, like, you know, over the course of five minutes on MTGO. But also, Winota is less deterministic, right? Devoted Druid has the win sometimes. Winota, you kind of have to get lucky with your Winota triggers.
2: I think it's worth noting that thinking about decks that can kill on turn three that are creature combo decks i think devoted druid is the only one that can also kill on turn three in addition to uh in addition to winota i mean yeah okay in fact sometimes if you get a insane draw can kill on three and prowess occasionally can kill on three but like these these have game plans that get you to three as part of the plan, and also like Prossen in fact are aggro decks. Like they're not necessarily uh, combo decks. I don't think, but um,
0: Urza Thopter Sword, same as devoted Druid. Like Winona doesn't have an I win button the way that Thopter Sword does. Also, Thopter Sword will sometimes have like a controlling mid range plan to fall back on. But I find that Winota doesn't really fold to some of the, like, silver bullet hate pieces that Thopter Sword might, such as Rest in Peace or even Stony Silence. You know, even compared to some other, like, big manor ramp decks that might fold to a Blood Moon or a Damping Sphere, Winota gets around those too, which I think is pretty interesting. We don't see a lot of these, but Kiki-Jiki style decks. They have an I-Win button that Winota does not. They also have a control plan to fall back on, but they tend to be a bit slower. I don't think Kiki-Jiki, any strategy of Kiki can ever win on turn three. Um, Niv to Light, I'm not sure if we consider that a combo, creature combo deck. Um, but it's similar to me in that like the Niv plan feeds the rest of the deck. Like the way you kind of want Winota to get through your deck faster, you want to get to Niv to get through your deck faster. And they had a little bit of a similarity there. But likewise, Niv has like this whole control strategy that it can tap into.
2: Yeah here's another deck that can kill on turn three. The one you're just about to talk to that. I I forgot about Mm.
0: the last thing I'll say about Niv though, is I think Winota is just faster than Niv to light strategies are like if, if Niv has a really slow start, Winota might just get them
2: dead before they ever do anything. Uh, Let's try that again. You're going to you're about to talk about another deck that kills on (laughs) can kill on turn three. If it gets a great draw and that deck is
0: amulet Titan. Yes. So, Winota can only win with creature combat. I think that's something we talked about as both a strength and a weakness. Like, it can win with creature combat even if you don't have Winota. But Titan has these other plan Bs like Valakit or Field of the Dead that can get around whatever hate or removal that opponents have. So, on the one hand, I would say that Titan is a much harder deck to play and master. But it's probably, in general, a stronger deck. And I think that's kind of what the metagame reflects in general. On this episode, we're going to skip, like some of the sky sideboarding and keeper mall decisions we'll talk about in other dive downs just because we don't have time, but we do want to talk about the real meat on the bone. Which deck do we think is better the pioneer version or the modern version
1: and not compared and not compared to each other, like in terms of comparison to the rest of the format, right? Cause clearly a modern deck is going to be better than the pioneer deck.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's key. Like, if you're gonna play your average FNM for either of these formats, which one do you think will have give you a better shot at like going undefeated?
1: Hmm. What do you think, Sand? You played you played both. I think that you had um, less interactive games in your Pioneer testing than I did, but you were able just to run people over.
0: Yeah, so I think this is maybe the fastest deck in Pioneer that I've ever played. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do turn three kills or turn three virtual kills where it's just like you get them to six life, but there's no chance that they're going to recover. And I think that's really impressive, a really impressive ceiling and one to keep an eye on, because if this deck gets better human payoffs or better like token makers or even better sackable creatures like it's just gonna keep getting better and better and also the mana is not bad even for three colors like it gets to play some fast mana gets to play a bunch of shock lands mana confluence helps smooth that out as well so like in a way i kind of felt like the pioneer version was a little less skill intensive but also more swingy has less tools to like fix your bad hands such as seasoned pyromancer yeah it's way more on rails totally on rails but at the same time like You can get, like, really lucky consistently, and I think that is a pretty fun, unique deck to have in Pioneer. Modern, more skill-intensive format, and it's a more skill-intensive deck. So even though the modern version is better between the two of them, I think, like, in general, I would rather, in the blind, play the Pioneer version.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow, what a take. I love it. Very nuanced. Lots Lots of stuff to unpack there. The removal in Pioneer is worse. Like... Even though, like... Oh, no. It doesn't
0: feel worse against this deck. I don't think. So, Modern has a really easy time activating Revolt on a Fatal Push. Like, the Fatal Push decks in Pioneer are set up to do that, but it's not like they can do it on demand as consistently.
1: I mean, they also have Heartless Act. They have Hero's Downfall, post-sideboard. They have Grasp of Darkness, if they if they are using that instead of Heartless Act right now. Like, if you, if you play a black-based deck you are likely going to lose unless you get supremely lucky. Um, so like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to counter your, I would rather play this in pioneer than play this in modern. Cause let's talk about all the things that, that there you are missing Two incredibly key as far as I could tell. And based on just looking at some paper parts to this deck and pioneer that you have in modern. And that is Strangler Geist and seasoned pyromancer. So you have Geist, which seems like the absolute best option to evolve into Winota, because of the things we talked about earlier. In Pioneer, you have you have to draw the right parts of your deck at the right time, and have them available to play at the right time. And the modern version is able to mitigate that more with their card selection and card looting with things like Season Power Mancer and then Smuggler's Copter. If you are able to stick that and use some ability use that ability. Modern has way better mana. I mean, it has all the fast mana. The mana base in pioneer was really painful because you are having to shock yourself a lot. You're playing mana confluence, which is painful. That kind of stinks. Then there are times like you get your like one root bound crag and it comes into play tapped and you're like, well, this sucks. And, you have way better mana dork in your birds of paradise it not only generates mana but it's a flyer for those winota triggers you get to run the ultra efficient bolt for your interaction main deck and reach you could path in the sideboard when like pioneer is playing stuff like bone crusher giant as its interaction which is just not
0: enough i don't think so so dave what did shane just do uh he pulled a shane Well, you just did the thing that you said not to do, where we're talking about relative to the format, and you just kind of pointed out why the modern deck is better than the two of them.
1: Well, well, I kill. So all of these things make running a three color deck that is trying to dodge removal and trying to like and and have a flexible game plan like your game plans less flexible, which stinks. Like having an unflexible game plan that's relying on creatures surviving in a in a deck that has no protection at all is just a challenging ask. So in, in modern, like you're saying is that one, you have better interaction that you can run main deck. You have a better and more flexible creature suite. You have the ability to filter your draw and draw into more cards than the pioneer deck does and all those things. And the, and the man is better in terms of relative to the format, running a three color deck in, in pioneer is hard. And in modern, it's kind of typical. Yeah. Here's what I think.
0: Yeah. Break up this fight, Dave.
2: Why not both? I I think they're about the same relative power level. My my guess is that they're close to about the same relative power level in the two different formats. I think that my impression is that Winota is a real card, Mm -hmm. that shells built around Winota are real decks, and they're kind of like, you know, always going to be searching for that next piece that can enable them to become tier one plus, or they're going to be the type of deck that like, Certain people are really fond of piloting and so they go for it and they learn how to to assess risk in a way that places them in advantageous positions to win often. So, I do think that the deck was skill intensive in modern, in particular. I think that it can be the same story in pioneer, especially if you start to think about the backup plan of a bunch of tokens plus Kenrith. But, um, you know, I, I feel like these decks are on the edge of the top tier and something that could definitely, but at the same time being something that could still steal a challenge occasionally. It's a wishy washy answer, I guess, but we is <laughs> a real card. I mean, it's super powerful and it's an, it enables, uh, you know, they're always going to print humans. We've talked about this a lot. They're always going to print <laughs> humans and they're, they they can't al- help themselves. There's always going to be a chance that there's a better payoff at some point in the future or a second payoff that people want. And then this deck is going to be absurd. If there were eight great payoffs that we felt okay playing in a Winota deck, that would up the chances of drawing one early so, so much, make a single trigger worth a lot more. That That's when this deck, I think, vaults into extreme consideration from where it is now where I think it's just good. And that's my final thought. <laughs> what
1: do you think overall, Stan? What's kind of your overall parting thought on Winota in so Just
2: to
0: bring it all home, I thought this deck was pretty easy relative to some other strategies i've played in both formats i also thought it was very fun it's just like it feels good when you swing with like some 147 damage but not only that but like when you swing with like a dinky one one and you happen to have onoda out and then like out of nowhere you just win because you get super lucky i think that that that's fun right rng when it benefits you feels great
1: oh man we're hearthstone now aren't we
0: yeah that said, like the deck does whiff. And I think to really enjoy this deck, you kind of have to have a certain threshold for its fail state, because there are certain situations where there's nothing you can do and the deck just falls apart. And that fail state, of course, is backed by math, which Dave pointed out. So in in, in that regard, it kind of reminded me of Neo Brand, where it's both really has a really fast ceiling, but just has its own like fail state that it needs to occasionally overcome.
2: Yeah, I mean, Neobrand has literally no fail state, though. Like, Neo Neobrand just dies, right? Like, you killed people with a Goblin Rabblemaster with this deck, right?
0: Right, yeah. I see what you're saying. You know, this was a great FNM deck. If you're in New Zealand, you've eradicated COVID-19, and you get to play in the local game store, like, there's probably people cleaning up with Winota. Um, and I have a feeling it's going to stick around in the 5-0 leagues for, like, a while. But... Kind of to Dave's point, I think we're going to need some upgrades before it gets to tier one. And maybe if we get, like, copies five through eight of human Engrath Marauders that double damage and maybe even, like, stack in the way Marauders does, like, I think this deck will just get more consistent and probably better in both formats.
1: Yeah, I think I think the Pioneer version has some tweaking left to do to be its best. I don't think I'm, I'm not, probably not the person to do that. I'll tell you that. But I think that, I think this deck definitely has potential. And I think that... You can't just spew your cards and expect to win in Pioneer. I think there's a lot of problems with that plan. Many ways you can trip over some hurdles trying to do exactly that time after time. Uh, Sometimes it's going to work great. Sometimes it's not. But I think that like Dave and Stan are both been indicating is that there's something here. And I think that people are still going to figure out what that something is.
0: All right. This was fun. Got another deck dive in the bag. Two deck dives even. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we actually got a bunch of great questions from our Patreon. We're going to try to get through a couple of them during the wind down, so stay with us.
1: All right, as Stanislav mentioned at the end of the dive down, we got some questions this week from the citizens of the Dive Down Nation, on our Patreon Slack. If you'd like to get in on these types of conversations, head over to our Patreon page. But let's start. I like this one from Blue Cheese. We mentioned Blue Cheese before. A constant presence, a welcome presence. Is combo a necessary evil or an inevitable evil? So I like that. It's only an evil. (laughs) What do you guys think about this? Inevitable. Right? I think so, too.
2: Uh, I mean quick history. There weren't a ton of combo decks early on in magic until we got to the first big breakout one in standard in my mind was prosperity bloom from the mirage visions block. Um, it was one of the first ones to win a pro tour. I think of course people have for a long time, uh, done channel fireball, which I guess could be a combo if you want it to be. Um, they, there weren't always cards that really enabled, combo and some of those are things that do like non-interactive alternate kills big drain drain life was the card uh that enabled prosperity bloom along with the actual card Cadaverous bloom i don't think that they are inevitable but i do think that people like playing combo decks and i like playing combo decks sometimes and so i think as long as they're not impossible to disrupt then they can still be fun to have as part of the metagame. People like to solve math problems sometimes. That's what a combo deck is. It's just like a big crossword puzzle that someone gets to do.
1: I think what you were saying though, Stan, is kind of like it's inevitable in these eternal formats as we get larger card pools where like someone says, oh, well now Inverter of Truth does something, right? So. Yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, they would have to stop printing cards that had any kind of potential like that to do weird things, right?
0: If that's even possible, it's kind of my point. Like, I think they would have to print fewer cards and the cards would have to be very, very boring, like mid-rangey or vanilla creatures or just like creatures with keywords, right? Like, if they stopped printing art- interesting artifacts, Planeswalkers or enchantments, like, yeah, maybe combos would go away, but then, like, they would just be printing worse sets.
2: So Stan's take is inevitable. Shane's take is inevitable. My take is they're not evil.
0: <laughs> Up
2: next, Emma of... TCG
1: player writing fame and a generally awesome member of the community she asks do you think historic is overshadowing pioneer i think that's an interesting question because it kind of gets at one remember historic exists it's only <laughs> on magic arena we're getting premier level tournaments in historic now but pioneer's not there on arena yet is historic overshadowing pioneer
0: I kind of think so. I think Arena is a very popular platform. Um you know our patron Joe like shared some article at, at some point earlier this year that like Arena was the I think 11th most popular PC game in the world next to like Fortnite and like all the other like it wasn't as popular her- as Hearthstone I don't think but it was just like wildly popular internationally and I think historic gives people the thing that we love about our favorite formats is like, I get to use my cards forever. Uh, and the fact that historic or rather that pioneer isn't on arena and that pioneer hasn't really had like significant changes through their curative ban decisions, I think has made it a little bit less exciting as it first was when it was first introduced.
1: Yeah. That's the a thing I was looking at Stan is like, they're, They keep changing historic. They're like injecting cards into it, sort of just brute force and and curating it to be what they want through a totally novel way of putting cards into a card pool that they can't do with how the pioneer formats laid out. And I think that that lends excitement and being able to play it on arena, like you said, just adds an avenue of play that people are into right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I worry about this a little bit just because I think that it's a big byproduct of there just not being paper right now. Uh, I also just think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Arena comes to Macintosh's on Thursday. Somehow, they randomly launched it, uh, randomly said that it's going to happen this Thursday. And so that'll be the day before this episode comes out. That could be a big shot in the arm two, just a whole, a whole new audience. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's overshadowing it because of that. I also think that, you know, people are reacting to the fact that the top of the metagame, as much as we tried to debunk it last week, I think people feel like the perception is the top of the metagame is kind of stale in pioneer. And, um, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but, uh, sometimes it feels that way. And sometimes perception is reality when it comes to metagaming. So
0: Yeah, I personally will be pretty excited if and when Arena comes to, like, mobile or iPads. Like, if I can play in bed on a Nintendo Switch or an iPad or on the train to work, if I ever have to commute to work again, I think that'll be kind of a game changer. Because, you know, Hearthstone is available on iOS, but I don't want to play Hearthstone. It's not Magic. I don't like playing... In general, I don't like playing non-Magic TCGs. Um, So, if I get to do that with Arena... Even though I've been critical about it in the past, I think I might be a little bit more incentivized to mess around with that platform.
1: All right, one last quick one. We can head on out of here. Jason, always good for a good question, asks, do you have any traditions when kicking off a league? Listen to music, drink a oat soda, etc. I wanna hear you guys first. You, Dave, you've been playing leagues, drafts for a long time. What's your, what's your tradition, Magic
2: Online? Uh, I start them at 1030 or 1130 p.m. That's probably the main tradition that I have. Everyone's in bed. So I do have a couple of beers. I might eat some ice cream while I'm doing it. But I think the uh, through line is I'm starting leagues after 11.
1: Stanislav, what's your favorite thing to do? starting uh, a league.
0: I, I do put on music, actually. Um, gotta have the tunes. Sometimes it's a, a random generated playlist on Spotify, or if there's an album that I won't, haven't listened to yet, and I need to start exposing myself. Because you know, like falling in love with a record, you seldom can do that on your first listen. And like, I'll do little life hacks to just kind of get it into my head so I can start to
2: develop some familiarity with it. What, when I used to like think a lot about music and albums and stuff i used to call it the definitive listen Mm. was like oh yeah i had my definitive listen of this album last night i would like tell my friends and be like listen it it was like the 10th time i listened to it but then it clicks then it like unfolded and you're like wow yeah and you'll notice by the trail of dead is actually (laughs) cool oh man that that like 2000
1: album is so good
0: so yeah i might just like put a record on repeat because i don't have to pay close attention to it and then it can just start getting in my head how about you shane
1: so here's what's weird about me is it's all about clicking play like because i i could go into any paper tournament now and not have jitters i'm fine going to a gp sitting down round one i feel ready to go i still get nervous on magic online i still get weird jitters i still i'm like you know this i'm oh there's this i I could lose 10 tickets here it's like who cares like i spent 70 dollars for this gp I just, I just have way more nervousness, not knowing who's on the other side of the keyboard. Worry about I'm gonna like F six through my turn or do something wrong, and it's all about just being like, you know, it's you've done this before. Done a <laughs> lot. You played a lot of magic online matches. Just, just, just do it. And also have a beer.
0: I, I kind of know what you mean. I'll sometimes get like weird anxiety just because I'll want to win, and it's often I get like anxiety when I'm ahead. What, what is that called?
2: Positilting. tilting.
0: Yeah, I get I get positive tilt where i was just like, it's my game to lose, and then I have to like be very careful, and that's when my heart rate
2: accelerates. That's funny. I am the exact opposite. I get much more nervous in paper than I do with Magic Online, where I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm gonna learn this deck, fire up a league, let's do it, <laughs> see what happens. But there you go, folks.
0: We are human after all. We too like to crack a beer a cold one when we play magic online. All right, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or prick our brain on something in modern or pioneer, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word. You can email the dive down at Gmail. Thanks again to our patrons who submitted questions this week. If you'd like to support the show, you can join that Patreon. Find that over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support the show via Traders. If you sign up for Traders.com using promo code thedivedown, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first three months of renting magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, don't whiff with Winoda. Bow, 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 bow.
1: I'm at, a, I'm at a parody
2: right now. I'm in a board stall. That's kind of one of the takeaways from here too, right?
0: I don't think Kiki Jiki, any strategy of Kiki can ever win on turn three.
2: Or they're going to be the type of deck that like certain people are really fond of piloting and so they go for it and they learn how to assess risk in a way that places them in advantageous positions to win often. They keep changing
1: historic. They're like injecting cards into it, curating it to be what they want through a totally novel way of putting cards into a card pool and I think that that lends excitement and being able to play it on arena like you said just adds an avenue of play that people are into right now
0: I don't think I've ever seen anyone do turn three kills or turn three virtual kills where it's just like you get them to six life but there's no chance that they're gonna
2: recover there weren't a ton of combo decks early on in magic until we got to the first big breakout one in standard in my mind was prosperity bloom
0: I wonder if that's a symptom of Pioneer, what you're describing, wherein this deck can't claw out of disadvantage positions. Like, are there Pioneer decks that can?
1: It's still a perfectly great target, simply because it comes back bigger and it
2: allows you to have at least, you know, one more trigger there as well. And now, on the news desk this week, to bring us our weekly breakdown, I think that's a Wild Stan appearing.